Hi, guys. Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. And of course, I'm joined by... Gabe Pacheco. You can find the Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM. WBAI.org on iTunes. And you know what you should do while you're there? You just do a little R&R, a little rate and review. Drop us some stars. We love it. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Patreon. The great thing about Patreon is that you get bonus content. You get extra interviews. You get extended interviews. You get a little behind the scenes. And to do that, you just go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. You can find us on Twitter using the hashtag KTHalpShow. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. You can find me at KTHalps, letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. And you can find Gabe at Gabe underscore Pacheco. That's right. That's right. How's it going, Gabe? I'm feeling great, you know, a little sore. Went for a run today. Nice. How yeah, was it? In was, this weather? I got, yeah. Were you so hot? I was very, I was just sweating bullets. Schwitzing you know? balls. Schwitzing. Left and right. Uh-huh. But yeah, I feel, yeah, I was just clear, flushing the system. Yeah, the toxins. Yeah, that's right. You got to do it. You got to do it. You, you got to get rid of that. Self-care, baby. Self-care. That's right. You know, I'm not at the point of radical self-care yet. I'm like a uh, reformist self-care. I hear you. Right? Like a, like some centrist self-care. Cent- just- yeah, because I've never really embraced that before because I find like so many people who practice radical self-care are just being terrible people. Narcissists. Narcissists, Navel-gazing. Yes. Navel-gazing, exactly. Uh, it's navel-gazing under the guise of social justice, basically. <laughs> right? <laughs> For the self. For the self, yeah. Um, but I have been trying to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I need listeners to be my accountability buddies. Or Gabe, you want to be an accountability buddy? I'll be an accountability buddy. All right. Accountability buddy. I That's like right. it. That's right. I need to. What do you got? What's what's something you want to text me uh, that you did every day? Work out. To check in. I want to work out every day. Every just day? Just something. Yeah. Yeah. Gabe's, Gabe's eyes just bulged out of his, <laughs> out of his cranium. <laughs> as if I'm not the spitting image of health and fitness. I'm on a diet this week. Really? About yeah. what kind? It's a media diet. Ooh, a myot. Okay, that's, tell us about that's it. That's right. So no, uh, no podcasts, no TV, no books, no reading. Oh my god! You know, I know it sounds like I'm making myself more ignorant, but I can I can find out about the news. I got to ask people. Right. Got to be like, hey, so like turn to somebody on the A train on my way up here. Hey, what uh, what's going on? Hey, stranger. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me three things that you think are important that I should know in the news. And you know so much though. You can like burn. It's like fat. It's like store, you don't have a lot of body fat, but it's almost like for you, you have a lot of. I got a lot of useless little information, tidbits. so you can burn it off. You don't need to be consuming sure. information constantly because you got so much in there. Yeah, and you know what uh, has happened so far this week is that I've ended up uh, texting more friends, you know, returning more emails. So wow. I'm just more in correspondence. Take a diet, guys. Take you a don't diet. Need, you know, you don't. And and uh, in that time off, you might uh, you have so much extra time on your hands. You could just start do. I've started doodling. You're I draw a very pictures. Good artist. Thank you. Yeah, I'll put some. We'll put some of the art up. Yes, let's do it. We'll put yeah. it up on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. We should do, we'll do some free previews and then. Speaking of fitness. Speaking of fitness, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what, what yeah, are we doing speaking today? Of fitness, yeah, well, today. What are we um, talking about? We are talking about uh, the World Cup, which is coming up. And, you know, Gabe and I had a long talk and we decided that we probably shouldn't be um, the ones responsible for a chat on the World Cup, given that neither of us plays nor watches uh, soccer. I'm not ESPN. I don't know anything about soccer. Me neither. I'll um, tell you, I mean, here, this is the one thing I, I do know is that I've seen it live a couple times uh, in Latin America. I've seen it. I went to oh, a cool. game in Mexico, went to a game in Chile. People 
went crazy in the stadium. And I thought I was staring at a screensaver. It was so boring to me. A screensaver of handsome, um, fit men running up and down a... a, It was like a a never-ending game of Pong. And then every once in a while, people would fall down. And then they'd overact like they hurt themselves. Oh, my gosh. Until somebody got a card. And then they'd hop back up on their feet and do a little pirouette. I thought you meant card like a sympathy card. I was like, that's so fast to get a card. I'm they not get the, even they get right. the, fa- the, the refs just throw, whatever, yeah. throw handkerchiefs out on the field, you know, to let the other team know that they did something wrong. I The stakes need to be higher. Like, uh, you know, when uh, when uh, Escobar is uh, was sponsoring one of the teams or when the, the Iraq, when their team was playing, yeah. I knew that something bad was going to happen to them if they lost. Right. I get you know? yeah. so that. There's real commitment there. The, yeah. That you I admire. Mean, that's really playing under pressure. I like a blood sport. Yeah. I like to know that the stakes are high and that somebody might get turned into a stake if they don't Ooh, succeed. Oh, I like it. Oh, God. What was that? that? There's that Colombian soccer player who like who scored a, a goal against his own team and was killed. Yeah. Now that's some pressure. If you don't face that, then are you really an athlete at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, I I gotta. I don't want anybody to die for real. No. no. You know. But, uh, we, but there's nothing wrong with thinking that could happen. It probably makes you a better player. I want the players to feel right. Exactly. Like they're they're guns to their backs, right. and they gotta really they gotta put it all in a hundred percent. Is there anything wrong with that? No. No. So I like soccer um, because I think that baseball and football are like painfully boring. Um, also, they're not, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be a little objectifying. I don't find like baseball players or football players very attractive. I mean, to be fair, part of it's the outfit. I don't find them very attractive. I do like basketball players and uh, soccer players. I like the outfits and I like the way they look. They tend to be better looking. And also, there's just more fit, like more motion and movement. Feels like a full body workout. Full body workout, right? Exactly. Yeah, football. You, you're, uh, you know, you're just. Yeah. <laughs> you practice sprinting and then hitting something really hard. Yeah. And you get brain damage. Short bursts followed by CTE. Yeah, that's brain damage. Yeah. Uh, also, boxing. I don't like. Although I've kind of seen. Whenever I see movies about boxing, I'm. I'm like disturbed by how much I like it. I love so the training like montages. It. Such good training montages. So the, great. Yeah. The training boxing, I think is great training. Uh, if you just never have to get hit. Yeah, exactly. People build themselves up to be perfect sculpted Adonises then to immediately get deflated in the ring. It's really terrible. Yeah. Um. So we decided to call in a special guest for this episode. And I, uh, I sat down, and I chatted with, uh, Nando Villa. Oh, he tapped me out. You're going to talk to Nando about yeah. this. Great. Yeah, he tapped, I tapped you out. Um, tapped myself out, but uh, took one for the team, so to speak. Mixing all these metaphors. Sat down and, t- and spoke to Nando about this. Nando Villa, who is the host of a, uh, a very successful podcast called We Came to Win. It's one of the top five most popular podcasts out there on iTunes about sports. Just under... The Katie Halper Show, We Came to Lose podcast that is yet to uh, break into the top 17,000. But we're, we're hoping to do that. And that, of course, is about... Um, uh, we talk about all the, uh, the second tier. Yeah, there's some um, badminton. Badminton, yeah. It's a badminton podcast. Really yeah. niche. Foosball. Foosball. We have a couple episodes on foosball, but let's just be real. It's all badminton. All Competitive the time. hacky sacking. But yeah, I did go to Wesleyan, so that's probably the. You guys had an ultimate frisbee ultimate team. Frisbee. Are you kidding? Of course, yeah. To hear the rest of my interview with Nando, and it's really good. We talk about Spanish politics, and we talk about some romance that I had with a Spanish soccer player. No mm. joke. I had some romance with some uh, 
Hamon Serrano, right? Like a uh, Hamon Ibirico. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not in thin a, sliced salty meats. Yeah, that's how I think of my Spanish men. Thin I love sliced. a tapas. I do like tapas. Actually, I don't eat red meat. So in Spain, all I eat is tortilla española. That's like all I eat. Which What's is that? Like the omelet? Spanish omelet, but it's like. It's only good when you put onions in it. If you don't put onions in it, don't even come. Don't talk to me. I won't eat your tortilla española. That yeah. sounds weird. It's like I have to say like tortilla. How do you <laughs> casually say? Like it sounds pretentious to be like I, I like some guacamole, but right. it, it also sounds weird to be like, oh, did you see tu mamá también? Like that sounds weird. I'll be like, yeah. did you see tu mamá también? Yeah, we should go see it. Then we can have some guacamole. Like that's how I'll do it. Right. So. Tortilla española? Am I supposed to be like tortilla española? It's case by case. You case gotta, by case, caso yeah. por caso. Um, when uh, I was studying in Spain, there was a guy who would always say España instead of España. Yeah. Because, you know, it ends when they have the ñ, when they have that tilde over, it's ña. And my friend and I were talking to him and we realized afterwards, he's an American guy and my American friend and I were like, he always says espana, espanol. Wow, that could get really awkward because he also must say um, ano instead of año, yeah. which means anus instead of year. That's right. And so we started thinking about all the ways that would come out, like happy new anus, like how many anuses do you have? Because the way yeah. they ask in Spanish, how old are you is how many years do you have? Yeah. Um, wasn't that an anus to remember? What anus was that again? That was my gap anus. <laughs> what else can we do? <laughs> um, um, during the, the Franco anuses, that's right. Um, the, during the anuses of Franco, what else? Um, My golden, golden anuses. The golden anuses. Um, anyway, oh, when I had 20 anuses, I had no idea how good I had it. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so that was a good time. Really excited to be talking to our special guest, Nando Villa. Nando is the host of a great new podcast called We Came to Win. And I'm smiling because I don't follow sports that much, but that's how good it is. I actually listen to it. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure, of course. Thanks for coming. Tell us about this new podcast. It was one of the top uh, sports podcasts yes. on iTunes. at one point, yeah. At one time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see what going on the Katie Halper Show can do for one's career? That also redeemed yourself. The, the Katie Halper Show bump, exactly, yeah. Well, it's about the World Cup. It's sort of stories about World Cup history. Uh, some of the moments are very famous and people know them. Some of them are not so famous, but what we do is we sort of go behind the story and tell um, you know interesting things about it. We do a little bit of like an oral history type thing. Um, stories like how the England run in 1990 helped turn around English soccer, which was really in the dumps at one point, and now it's this big spectacle that we know today. Or in 1986, Diego Maradona had one of the most famous World Cup performances ever against England, in which he scored two goals in a span of four minutes, one of them with his hand, and the other one considered the greatest goal of all time. With his? Head left or something? Foot. Left foot. Okay. Yeah. My left foot inspired yeah. that movie. Yes. Not true. No. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what people can look for at the World Cup that's upcoming? Well, I'm quite excited about this tournament. I, don't know, I, I guess I get excited about every single one, but uh, I the last one was a little bit of a disappointment in that there was not a lot of great gameplay and in Brazil in 2014. Uh, and I was there. I was there. I was doing a live show every night from the Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro. Oh, my God. And even though I had that cool job, I still thought the World Cup was kind of boring. Wow. But this one, I think, is going to be great. Um, I think it's going to be wide open. Uh, there's a lot of very good teams and a lot of very good players. And I just think that 
the way soccer has evolved in the past few years, it's going to be a lot more open, a lot more goals. So I'm excited about that. Open means what? Open means like not as conservative in their style of play. Um, you know, like playing not to lose versus playing to win. You know, playing not to to concede goals rather than going after as many goals as you can. So like on the offensive as yeah. opposed to on the defensive? Yes, yes, yes. See how good I am about yeah, sports yeah, yeah, metaphors? Yeah. yeah. Um, and where is the World Cup this year? It's in Russia. Trump and Putin negotiated are they, it. Are they going to kiss on the They're going to make field? up. Exactly. Yeah. This is all the libs on Twitter are very, are very like, you know, they're, they're dropping the snide comments about the World Cup. Right. You know, being in Russia. So. so before we get back into the World Cup of today, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the World Cup? Wow, the history of the World Cup. Well, um, the World Cup goes back to basically 1930, but it, and it started off as a relatively small tournament, um, but it has since become the biggest sports tournament in the world um, in terms of audience, in terms of interest, in terms of repercussion and money and everything. It's just, it's every four years and it's massive. Billions of people watch um, the hearts and minds of entire nations hang in the balance as countries compete against each other. Um, and the, the first episode was the, how England's run in the 1990 World Cup really turned English soccer around. You know, in the 1980s, we, we think of English soccer as, you know, the, the, the most powerful league in the world. It's one of the most popular leagues in any sport in the world. Um, it's got Millions of fans all over, like all over the place, from India to the United States to Africa, everywhere. People are fans of English soccer. It's the most richest and most powerful league. But not that long ago, it was actually one of the considered one of the worst leagues in Europe. It was just in the dumps in the 1980s. It was these crumbling old stadiums that were built 100 years earlier. Um, there was a lot of violence in the fans, known as hooliganism, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, and then the gameplay was really bad, and um, they were actually banned from competing in European uh, tournaments for five years because uh, in, in the 1985 uh, European Cup final, um, there was an incident where a few fans were killed in Heysel. It was a, a game between Liverpool and Juventus. So they were banned for five years from European competitions. Everyone thought it was just like awful. It wasn't fashionable anymore. And it was seen in the 1980s in England as this sort of like uh, scummy working class sport, you know, and in the culture in, the, in England in the 1980s was, you know, Thatcherism. Right. It was like very much Prime general. Minister Margaret Thatcher for, yeah. the, young, for the young viewers yeah, out there. Yeah, for the kids. Uh, we remember her. Yeah, old Maggie. Yeah. Um, Iron Lady. The Iron Lady, yeah. Major conservative. One of the great debates of our time is about how much of your money should be spent by the state and how much you should keep to spend on your family. Right-wing, yeah, right neoliberal, yeah. neoliberal, neocon... Um. Basically the equivalent of their Reagan. Right, yeah, it's their Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. There is no such thing as public money. They really transformed the country right. from a sort of pretty left-wing place to a pretty right-wing place. But someone has to add up the figures. Um, and uh, and yeah. she was not a fan of She soccer. was not a fan of soccer. No, no, no. She was not, she really hated soccer. She thought soccer was for the gross, disgusting... Uh, masses, masses, plebs, the plebs, uh, and so she did everything she can to 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 go against soccer. I mean, she almost she even threatened to pull England out of the 1990 World Cup. Um, this was like a serious, credible thing that they considered in the government. You can imagine today that would that would be unthinkable. Um, but this was an actual thing that they that they were considering. But England went on a, a, went on a run in that tournament. They they got to the semifinal. No one expected it. They completely outperformed uh, expectations. And it really captured the imagination of the nation. 
and a, the Imagination Nation. And um, it really sort of got people back into soccer in a, in a big way. It was like the turning point, which led to what English soccer is today with the Premier League, the, you know, very, a lot of pomp and circumstance and spectacle. Um, but that was really the turning point, was that 1990 World Cup in Italy. And can you talk about the class politics involved in that? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in England back then, um, contrary to what it is today, today uh, you go to a, like a soccer stadium in England and Arsenal Stadium, for, in the Arsenal Stadium, for example, in London, and it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty corporate bourgeois affair, if that makes sense. Uh, and in, but back then it was not. It was a pretty like a rough kind of, working class thing to do. I mean, it was, there was no seats at the stadiums, or there, was, there were some seats, but mo- there was entire sections that were standing room only. So you'd be standing there, um, just like with a bunch of dudes uh, crowded in there, like sardines, and all eating like fried onions and fish and chips and, and, and drinking this thing called bovril, which is like a, basically a meat juice. Mm, juice. We tried to get some for today, yeah, but we didn't find any. Yeah, but yeah, it was literally like a meat extract in juice form. It's disgusting sounding. The Brits have really bad food. No they have offense. very bad food, um, and 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 you know they they since because they were in these these standing room area seats, um, it was very difficult to move around. So if you had to take a piss, people would just piss, and so like in the middle of the game, you'd just be standing in flowing piss on the floor. Um, it was a pretty disgusting thing. So no like uppity right posh uh, people, posh people went to as the they games. say there right yes. Um, what was it? What were the sports for the the uh, the posh people? Rugby. Rugby was considered a more a so more gentleman's. Yeah, because it's a rough. So it was like a, uh, there's like a famous there's a famous phrase in England that's something like uh, you know uh, rugby is a you know ruffian sport or something played by gentlemen, uh, okay. and soccer is a gentleman's sport played by ruffians. Oh, interesting. You know, because soccer is a much more dainty sport compared right. to rugby. But uh, well, you know, and, and things like crew and tennis right. and. Um, Fox hunting. Badminton. Fox hunting. Right, fox hunting. Yeah. It's a good, good, good sport. Things like that. Auto uh, motor racing is a, you know, they're big into that in in the UK. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there was a, there was a difference. There was a very much like soccer was seen as like a kind of grimy thing that you just didn't touch if you were, you know, a person of good repute. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that, that was really like the context of, of how, this story changed, you know, like really it became kind of a much more um, acceptable sport to all the classes after that World Cup. And now huh. soccer really is like the universal sport. It is the, it is the number one sport by far in the world and in England and everywhere else, except for the United States. And can you talk about the deaths that happened and how it was blamed on hooliganism as opposed to kind of uh, the structure, right. the so, physical yeah. structure of the stadium? So we did, in, in the episode we talk about um, a very famous incident called the Hillsborough incident, which was a... Uh, um, a game that Liverpool played, a semifinal of something called the FA Cup, uh, and it was played in a stadium called Hillsborough. And it was a very old stadium, um, definitely had not been, uh, you know, properly, sort of, they, they didn't think about, like, these, like, mass movements of people coming into the stadium in a very sophisticated way. Um, so what happened was, uh, you know, the, there was a lot of Liverpool fans that there that day, and they were kind of funneled into this one area um, improperly. And they all kind of started pushing into the same pen. They called it a pen. It was like a, basically like a large, large outdoor cage that they were stuck in, and it was standing room only. And it started getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And over time, a crush started to happen, yeah, and people yeah. like just couldn't get out. There, 
people literally climbing on top of each other um, and just like kind of crowd surfing, uh, like as if they were at a rock concert. People like climbing over the fence because they, they would they would put these giant fences to protect the players from fans rushing onto the field, which would happen sometimes. Uh, so they were climbing over the fence. The cops were just like beating them back in because they had no idea how back it was, how bad it was inside the pen, and people were literally getting crushed to death. And until they finally realized how bad it was, and they and they released the cage, they stopped the game and released the cage. And people started running out. Like ninety six people just kind of collapsed because they were dead. That's um, insane. And you can imagine what it must be like to go to a sporting event these days and have ninety six people die in a crowd crush. Um, so this was like the low point of English soccer. This was considered the absolute low, low point. And immediately after, uh, a right-wing tabloid called The Sun, which is owned by, still is owned, I think, by Rupert Murdoch. And we have, the, we have one friend here, The Sun. Friend, friend of the show, of the, Rupert, the show, come on Rupert the show. Murdoch. Go on yeah. Katie Halper show. Yeah. Friend of the show, Rupert Murdoch, um, you know, obviously the king of the right-wing tabloid, yellow press right. all over the world. Um Ran uh, a series of articles. Uh, one famous headline that just said the truth, and it really and it sort of blamed the incident on the actual fans that were there. Um, said that they're they're so violent and they're so disgusting that they would do these things that would kill ninety six people, and they 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 told stories of fans pissing on dead like on corpses, of like stealing, you know, pickpocketing them while they were dead, um, of like yelling and throwing stuff at cops, um, and bodies. Yeah, Bobby's. <laughs> and a lot of people in England bought it. You know, a lot of people, these, the, the right-wing press in England is very powerful. And a lot of people bought it. Like, that was the narrative. Was the narrative was that these fans were out of control, and that's why all these people died. Turns out, it was all a lie. And really, what it came down to was the stadium, which is rickety and old, and it was not equipped at all to handle the, that kind of crowd movement. The cops had no idea what they were doing. They, would, they had no idea how to funnel the people in properly. Because like, if you evenly distributed them, Right. It would be fine, but they were all just being pushed into this one area. Um, and it, there, there's, there was a decades-long inquiry into, into this incident, and it, it's finally been sort of resolved, and, and the fans have been completely exonerated. Like they've, they've, and there was like a huge police cover-up, and it's like all this crazy thing that happened. But that was seen as like the low point. I mean, like that really, that incident really freaked the world out to like the English fans, especially because the, the very English media was the one sort of perpetrating this narrative. Um, right, it wasn't the foreign press. No, it wasn't, right. yeah. It was the press at home. That created it, yeah, yeah. the narrative at least, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that just reinforced the idea that soccer fans were just, and, and by extension, working class people right. were, were just disgusting, violent, you know, basically mongrels. Right. Yeah, yeah it's not, it seems like, I mean, I think sports often are kind of a microcosm um, of larger societal issues, so it reminds me of how you know, in England, that building collapsed in London. Mm -hmm. Grenfell Tower. Grenfell Tower, yeah. right, exactly. And there's this narrative of kind of culture of poverty, right? Like, what's wrong with these people that they're living in places like this? Why can't they take care of their spaces? As opposed to they're very, like, concrete structural issues yeah. that have to do with permits and cutting corners and people trying to, you know, basically just people being okay with people dying for financial gain. Yeah. Um, totally, so, even, like... So, like, even the 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 not this not this World Cup coming up in 2018 in, in Russia this year. The next one is in 2022 in Qatar. Oh. Qatar, whatever. Qatar, Qatar. Qatar. Um, now I'm gonna have to have a guest from Qatar. Yeah, to, to tell us how to pronounce it. It's a hard yeah. one. It's not yeah, it easy. Is, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's like an overcompensating thing. Like people who don't speak Spanish are like Chavez. It's yeah, really yeah. Chavez. Yeah, so this yeah. is like a thing. It is Qatar, but we're like Qatar. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know. I think, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Qatar it does not have a huge uh, and sophisticated soccer infrastructure. Mm. They don't. They just don't. You know, right. Not. Um, so they have to build all these stadiums to be able to host the World Cup. And what they've been doing is basically conning Nepalese, poor Nepalese workers to come to, to Qatar. Right. Um, and then what they do is they revoke their exit visas when they get there. So they basically become slaves. And I mean, some reports have indicated that at least a thousand people have died building the stadiums because they put them in these awful conditions. Uh, I mean, in, in, in like the hot sun and like, you know, it's not like a temperate climate over there. Right. I mean, it's so hot that they've actually had to reschedule the, the World Cup and move it to the winter time. Um, because they, the players just can't play in the summer there. It's too hot. Um, but these people are still building the stadiums in those conditions, and they're living in shanty towns right. near the work sites, and they're just dying. And this is all just like for our, you know, entertainment. little entertainment, you know, and we're all just kind of suckers for it. I mean, what are we going to do? Like boycott? I mean, it's hard, you know, like. It, it's right. A- well, what can we? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, how much can fans and players use their purchasing power or their playing power to both expose what's happening and also kind of force governments to do certain things or businesses to do certain things. The sad thing is that there's like, there's a similar thing happening that, in, that happens in Washington, whereas that like very high paid lobbyists uh, from, Qatar, from Qatar basically buy off players. So the way, the way like the UAE or Saudi Arabia will, you know, pay off like some think tank dude to write an op-ed in the Washington Post talking right. about like how awesome Saudi Arabia is now. Um, what, what the Qatari government is doing is they, they pay a lot of money to basically former players who are like superstars and beloved by fans and they, they bring them there and they show them the facilities and how cool they are. And, and not the Nepalese No, they don't, have, they don't show them that part. Yeah, they don't show them that part. Um, but they... But they basically show them like the training facilities and how they're developing the local league, and then they hire them as consultants, and and sometimes like uh, they'll hire them as like you know assistant coaches for their national team or whatever. And these players then become ambassadors for the cause of uh, the Qatari World Cup. It's very, it's like a very, it's a very similar thing to what's happening to what happens in, in Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the it's, lobbying. Yeah, the lobbying. Um, what can fans do? I mean, it's hard. I mean, like asking fans to boycott the World Cup. Is like you know, it's hard. Um, there has been some movement on the sponsorship front. Like I mean, there was there was rumors that, and there there was some movement in the sense that like you know, some sponsors were getting skittish about uh, supporting this World Cup, but it hasn't didn't really materialize in Russia or in, in Qatar. Qatar. Yeah, Qatar. But I mean, what can fans do? I mean, it's tough. I mean. Or players? I think it has to be a, I mean, players. I mean, we ask for players. They're just athletes. They're, they're all. Yeah, but look at uh, Colin Kaepernick and stuff. Yes, Colin Kaepernick is incredibly great. But Colin Kaepernick, it's, it's because it's a cause that affects him. This stand wasn't for me. This stand wasn't because I feel like I'm being put down uh, in any kind of way. This is because I'm seeing things happen to people that don't have a voice. There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, one specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. The cause of, of Nepalese we're... workers is... Right. You know, we're, of course, referring to... I mean, I guess everyone knows this. Yeah, the, the, Colin the, Kaepernick, fo- yeah, yeah, the football player. Another example of what you just said about how sport, like the, the, the fights in right. the sporting arena reflect our broader culture and politics. I mean, think about, like, I mean, is there anything that encapsulates what's going on in America today than the culture war around Colin Kaepernick. Right. You know, everything about it, you know, like um, the, 
you know, from like the snowflakey uh, safe space response from the right that want like, you know, they can't handle a guy like, you know, triggering them. Right. Um, to like the fact that these billionaire owners are like closing ranks and collaborating with the extreme right wing to uh, suppress this. I mean, right. that kind of thing that happens all over the place. Yeah, and he's spoken out. I mean, it's not just the symbolic thing, right? But he's actually said, he's really spoken out against not just police brutality, but like the two-party system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He's actually, you know, he's... He's doing the work, so to speak. Come on, come on the show. Come on the Young Turks. Friend of the come show, on the Katie also. For show, yeah. yeah. We'll do a debate between Colin Kaepernick and Rupert Murdoch. Exactly. That'd be. And Colin Kaepernick will totally win, and then the media that Rupert Murdoch owns will pretend that right. he lost the debate. So we have like Kaepernick. We have Ma- Muhammad Ali, who famously said that yeah. no Viet Cong ever called him the N word, meaning no, yeah. no Vietnamese communists ever called him the N word. My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother or some darker people. Uh, some pro-hungry people in the mud for big, powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me nigger. They never lynched me. They never put no dogs on me. They never robbed me of my nationality. He went to jail. How can I shoot them poor people? I would just take me to jail. For refusing to go to Vietnam despite yeah. the draft. My name is a white people, not Viet Cong, Chinese, or Japanese. You my poser when I want freedom. You my poser when I want justice. You my poser when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. Uh, you have the Black Panther uh, salute, fist. Yeah. Um, that happened at the Olympics mm-hmm. in Mexico City. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. You have the Jesse Owens, Owens with yeah. uh, Adolf Hitler. So there is a kind of tradition of athletes who, who are politically engaged. I guess you're right when you, I mean, it's a really good point, which is that these are issues that directly affect them. Yeah, one, one pretty famous example that— Or the um, nation, at least. That was there was, a, there was a really famous forward for Liverpool named Robbie Fowler who uh, scored a ton of goals. He was like their, their big goal scorer, big star. Um, he was, uh, he, you know, Liverpool uh, supporters are traditionally very kind of like working class and, and pretty left-wing um, militant. I mean, Liverpool in general was like the, the heart of a, lot of, the, a lot of the trade union movement in, in the UK, especially around the, the docks and all that stuff. Right. Um, well, while he was a player in Liverpool, he scored a famous goal in which he like ran over to the camera and lifted up his shirt. And underneath, he had a shirt with a message of solidarity for striking dock workers wow. in, in, in Liverpool. That was like a very highly contentious one. You see it every once in a while. Um, it happens. I mean, um, Cristiano Ronaldo has done a lot of activism work around uh, Palestine um, in the past. He's given a lot of money um, and, you know, done some, some awareness. Uh, but you don't, uh, you know, and, and and you've seen it. You see it every once in a while. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the uh, Barcelona players have been very active about the uh, the famous Bruces uh, in the Catalan independence movement, right. or at least the right to to for self determination. It means the proceso in Spanish, but it's in Catalan. It's el proces. The it's called. It's what's called. It's what the the thing is called now. Right. It's like the process towards independence. Right. Okay, so we have something happening right now with uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and messy. Can you talk about that? It's gotten kind of messy. It's gotten a little messy, yeah. So um, before the World Cup, teams schedule friendlies to with other teams to, another, to prepare, basically, because they don't get to play a lot. Um, so, so they need practice? They, yeah, so they, they do these essentially like uh, exhibition games. And the Argentine Football Federation had scheduled a friendly with Israel, um, you know, probably scheduled it maybe a year ago. Well, who knows? Uh, 
but not, they don't schedule it right away. It's, they, right. These things are known for months. They had no idea Israel had, <laughs> was oppressing Palestinians. That's true. <laughs> well, I'm sure they Back yeah, then, just yeah. kidding, yeah. Well, but then the thing, the, the situation course, got, you even know, more a little, high, I mean, it's, a little it, heated. Right. Yeah. It's more, like, problematic. It's more difficult to kind of uh, sanction or, or normalize Israel now. They've been oppressing Palestinians for a while, but yes, the recent events of Gaza have been, like, so over the top. Yeah. and indefensible, even just on a, on a, an optics level. Right. So, so uh, people on social media and stuff started basically, started a campaign to get Argentina to cancel this friendly. I mean, you know, they're, they're saying like, why would you go into Israel? It's kind right. of like what's happening with like a lot of the artists. Performers, yeah. yeah. Performers who, um, and the Argentine players, actually a lot of them started receiving death threats. Um, you just, you, uh, you spoiled, that, spoiler alert. Spoiler. That's why they're, that's what's uh, motivating yeah, so them they, more than the politics, right? Right, yeah. I don't think that Messi and Iguain and Aguero, uh, you know, I, I heard an interview with Iguain, who I think is the only one who spoke publicly about it. He was, he's the starting center forward for Argentina. Um, and he was like, it was the only thing we could do. I mean, we have to like, we can't like have this distraction and this like, this, you know, Right. This thing weighing like weighing over our heads before the World Cup, like we need to like chill. You know? So what are they doing? They're not doing. They're it? just not doing it friendly. Yeah. They just canceled it. Although the funny thing is now there's like a, now there's a bit of a tiff because uh, Israel had already paid for the friendly. Thanks, Israel. Way to shatter the stereotypes of of my right. people. Jews and they're like, being... now we want our money back. Right. And the Argentines, who also, if you want to, get to they're like, oh, do they? they're like what money? Right. Oh, where'd it go? Okay, yeah. so no, they are. They like all the all the you know because like Argentine soccer is like unbelievably corrupt. Right. And so I think like the what people are joking around is that like, you know, all the all the executives have already pocketed it. Right. They've already spent it. Right. Well Netanyahu's pretty <laughs> so corrupt, have... so he'll he'll understand that. Right. He should yeah. be able to relate to that. Yeah. Um so they were getting death threats? Yeah. From angry uh supporters of critics of Israel, supporters yeah. of the Palestinian cause. Not representative. It's always no. the loud, you know, always yeah. the, the extremists who get all the attention. Most people who are pro Palestine, totally peaceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just no, want to, no. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not that, I mean, not that you were saying It's important that. to, yeah, I think it's right, important right. to know. But um, I mean, in any sort of, whenever there's a big online course. campaign, you will get some right. sort of, you know. Right, and, and it's not like they have armies to actually shoot people, you know. Right. Take, uh, pick people off with sharpshooters, right. so don't worry. Yeah. Israel still has the uh, leg right. up on that issue, the Israeli government. Um, and speaking of death threats, this <laughs> is kind of unrelated, but I, I learned... And I was so shocked by this that there was a Colombian soccer player yeah. who did a self goal. Yes, and an was, own goal. An own goal, that's yeah. what it's called, and was killed. Yeah. Against the United States. In the United States. He, that's where he that was in the World Cup in 94. Andres Escobar. It's a very famous story. Uh, he was killed after, like right after the World Cup. What was it? Mafia? Like a narcos yeah, or I mafia mean, hit? Yeah, or? There, there's actually a great documentary about it called, you should watch it, it's called The Two Escobars. It's an ESPN oh. 30 for 30. Um, yeah, I mean that's the implication that it was that it was they were not happy. Poor guy, that's yeah. so awful. Like he already has to, had to live with that national shame, and then, and then he, he gets killed. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, the stakes are high in the World Cup. Right. So, how popular is the World Cup in the United States? Super popular. I mean, the World Cup in the World Cup that was held in the United States is still to this day. I'm pretty sure it's still the most well attended World Cup in history. So more people went to the stadiums than in any world. Where was that? In the United States. Where was it though? All over the place. Like Washington, Chicago, Dallas, LA. So when they're Orlando. held in a country, they're in multiple cities. Yes, it's not like uh, okay, guys, it's just not like the Olympics. It's like Beijing or something. <laughs> right. It's like the country hosts it. 
which is kind of a funny thing with this year in Russia because like there's all these cities that like no one's ever heard of right. and that people have to go to and like some of them are like very strange like there's one city that's like basically like the 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 near gulag it was like the near gulag that they like it, the it was gulag like what, wannabe? no 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 it was like Aspiring the kind of like the gulag? it was kind of like the close by the gulag that was like closer to moscow okay. like they, if they, the could, less, if, if like they the weren't going to send you to siberia right. They're going to send you to, like, the close one, right. you know, if they want This is to... Stalin times we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, um, And there's, like, a... That's, like, that's one of the World Cup cities. Nice. Um, and there's, you know, there's other cities, like, in the Ural Mountains, where, like, these people, like, have to, like... Now they're... Maybe, I don't know. I think Mexico is playing there, and there might be, like, 20,000 Mexicans coming. These people have never seen anything like that. Right. Um, so that's... That's kind of a funny subplot in this in this World Cup. That, I mean, people, Gulag, Moscow and Gulag St. tourism. Yeah, Gulag tourism. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the the World Cup is very popular in the United States. I mean, every year the viewership increases. I mean, it's it's still like a huge property for whoever broadcasts it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, the amount of money that uh, this year it's NBC and Telemundo have the rights to the World Cup and. Uh, sorry, NBC and Telemundo have the Spanish rights, and Fox Sports has the English rights, and they paid like an unbelievable amount of money for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's a big deal. I mean, unfortunately for us that live in the United States, the United States failed to qualify this. Why? Year. What determines that? They do a qualifying campaign, like you 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 play against the people in your Got region, it. you know. So like Europe, Europe teams qualify, like play against each other to see who which ones qualify for the World Cup. North America, Central America, they they play together, South America. And the United States, which, you know, the two best teams in the United States region are Mexico and the United States, and they qualify pretty much every year. Um, this year, the United States really dropped the ball. They lost to so Trinidad to and Tobago on the last on the last day. Go Trinidad yeah. and Tobago. And both of the both of them are lovely. I've been to both. Poor Tobago, it really gets the short end. Tobago's of the way it's never cooler mentioned. than Trinidad. Oh really? Yeah, Trinidad's like a, is like the where like the big city is, right. where Port-au-Prince is, and that's like where like everything is. But like Tobago is just the most beautiful place. We should just start calling it Tobago and Trinidad. Trinidad yeah, Because they just never, they're like yeah. an add-on. Um, another, uh, so I'm someone who doesn't really follow sports that much. Yes. But uh, the, the things that I've heard of most are actually something like um, stadia, stadiums, stadia. Yeah. Like in, in, Ch- in Chile, right? Yeah. In Santiago, where there's that famous stadium where people were rounded up under yeah. Pinochet, who came to power in 1973, you know, in the CIA Actually, a great story about that. So Against Allende. So right after that, happened. Um, so Allende was deposed in 1973, as you know. CIA yeah, supported coup. Yeah. He killed himself, but he was going to be killed. Right, right. He's a right-wing, authoritarian, um, neoliberal-friendly, um, what's it, Milton Friedman yeah, fan. Chicago boys, yeah. yeah. Chicago, Chicago boys um, government dictator that came into power, backed by the United States. Allende was the only Marxist, or the first Marxist elected president. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. So back to you, Nando. So uh, there was a game scheduled shortly after that between Chile and the Soviet Union to be played in that stadium. And the Soviet Union um, protested and they said, uh, we don't want to play in that stadium. Because it was literally, I mean, it was literally stained, weeks after, right? it was like two weeks after they had rounded up all these people. And, and killed and them and tortured, and tortured them, yeah. Them and all that stuff. Including so, Victor Jara, the very good folk singer. There you go, Victor Jara. Um, so the Soviet Union was like, we don't want to play there. Yeah. They, they, they protested like, we'll, we'll play in literally any other stadium in Chile than Oh, you, so they yeah. weren't even going to cut off. It wasn't just about Pinochet. No. It was just this was too much. Right. Like to have this it in a like, concentration camp, yeah, basically. Exactly. It's like, yeah. Um, and uh, and Chile refused. Pinochet refused to move the to move the game from a, to a different stadium. 
And the Soviet Union says we're not playing there. And um, so they, uh, FIFA, they they appeal to FIFA and they're like, don't make us play here. FIFA, FIFA is the... The governing body that, that governs all of soccer, well, soccer. And FIFA sided with the Chileans. And so the Soviet Union didn't show up for the game. And Chile actually played the game. It's crazy if you watch the footage. They're, it's like the Chilean players are standing there listening to the national anthem in full uniform. No one is standing next to them. They kick the ball off and they play. I sort of got the camera guys, I can't believe it. They play this game and they're just like running around the field. They're scoring a bunch of goals. There's no, there's no one else on the field. Footage is on YouTube, look it up. But because the Soviet Union did that, they were banned from the 1974 World Cup. They didn't play. Because they broke the rules? Like, because, because they refused FIFA, to show up for a game. And FIFA was like, no, you must play in the yeah. death stadium? Yeah. And then, uh, and then, so the Soviet Union was wasn't allowed to play the 1974 World Cup because of that. Has they have they like apologized FIFA or anything? Have they had no. to? They should. FIFA, they're I like mean, the most comically it, I, corrupt. But that's so uh, organization. it's like bad. Like I'm surprised they don't like. Well, the story is not that well. Like, I mean, the story is not that well known outside oh, of because it's the Soviet Union. You know, like we don't. You know, we get. You know, right, right, right. Good acts from the Soviet Union get suppressed. In this right, game. and of course we were allies with. Um, with Chile. Kino- yeah, yeah. Nixon liked him. Kissinger loved him. It's we hate also Kissinger. Friend of the show. Also friend of the show. Yeah, yeah. He sounds just like the guy from Office Space. You know, the guy like yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then well, I actually I'm going to quit. And and I told Dom too because it's not acceptable. Who determines what city or what country the World Cup is held in? FIFA. FIFA does. Okay. So there's this really shady process. FIFA basically, in theory, it's like a, an open process in which a, comp- a country, you know, prepares a presentation and they like say like, this is what we got, we got all this right. great stuff. And, you know, and then they present to the FIFA executive committee and the FIFA executive committee votes and they give the World Cup to whoever has the most votes. However, what really happens is that basically it's just a bribery system. Um, and it's like, it's almost, they barely conceal it. Um, you know, they, they barely even bother to conceal it. Like, um, you know, there was a lot of speculation that South Korea paid a lot of money to get the World Cup in 2002. Um, you know, the fact that Russia and Qatar got the World Cup at the same year, in the same year. Like, usually they stagger it. Like, they announce oh, okay. for the next one just before, you know what I mean? Right, and, but they announced but this, the they announced at the same time because all the members of the FIFA Executive Committee were so old that they know they weren't going to be able to be around for the to give the rights to the 22, 22 World Cup, so they just like moved it moved it ahead, gave away those rights, got all the money from Qatar. This is all allegedly, right? There's no hard, there's not a, a lot of hard evidence, but right. it seems pretty clear that all this these things went down. And in, in fact, many of the FIFA executives went to like are are being indicted by the FBI. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, there uh, a lot of them are you know, awaiting trial. There was like a huge crackdown in 2015. Something I never thought I'd see. Um, the FBI actually, you know, did a pretty decent thing. Huh. We don't usually say that a lot right, around here. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so speaking of the FBI, how did Russia get picked? When did they determine this? When did they choose the... So I guess they picked it. They must have picked it in 2012. Okay. Maybe, or maybe, 2000, maybe 2011. I don't remember exactly when it was. But yeah, I mean, you know, Putin probably greased a few hands and... And got the World Cup, you know. Are the Russians good at soccer? No, they used to be quite good. Um, when they were the Soviet Union, they were quite good. Um, okay, another perk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but soccer Communism. is not. Russia is not like a soccer mad country the way right. others. I mean, they're very good at hockey. Um, so there's a lot of ice. There is a lot of ice. Um, 
and, and soccer is not like their main, main right. thing. Um, what determines that? Any, I mean, is that like, maybe there's no theory on that, but like, why is it relatively, I mean, obviously it's big here, but it has nothing, nothing compared to baseball, basketball, football, right? right. In general, countries play the sports of their former colonial masters in a way. Oh. So like, that's why like India is so good at right. cricket. Um, and like Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa are great at rugby. Mm. Um, these are very British sports. Uh, but America sort of had the, the United States had the war for independence. Thomas Jefferson early. was playing football. Yeah, but it was yeah, early. It was downs. early. It was before like sports had become this like mass uh, thing in so England. They, right, right, right. So we pe- that's why we play kind of like a bastardized version of the British sports. We play like a bastardized version of rugby, which is football. Oh. We play a bastardized version of cricket, which is baseball. Did not right. That's, um, cool. that's like a there's like a, a loose, basketball. Basketball is a, basketball is like a new sport that was invented by a guy named Dr. James Naismith. When? Um, like what decade? In like in like around nine. I don't know the exact date, but I think it was like around 1900. It's like a relatively new sport, um, and it was invented by an American guy. Um, How do you even think of that? Like two hoops, ball. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Go James. Um, and soccer was invented by the by the British too. Um, do we know like what? Do we know when? Well, it's unclear exactly it, because it started. They started playing it in like in the schools, like in the prep schools for boys, so to speak. And it was kind of an organic ish thing. And I think it was around. I think it was like eighteen sixty mm. something, where like the they got together, like all the schools got together and sort of codified the rules, like as the official rules. Right. So by then, America had long been emancipated, quote unquote, from the British. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's why, like, you know, we never kind of got that here. And the reason why, like, a lot of the soccer clubs in, for example, like Argentina have English names, like the main, the most famous soccer club in Argentina, or one of the most famous is called River Plate. Mm. That's, River Plate. River Plate. Or say, say River Plate. You know, like, but it's, they're all English names, like Messi's right. team where he grew up. Uh, in the neighborhood where he grew up was called Newell's Old Boys. Oh, that must be hard for them to say. Yeah, it's a little Spanish hard. Speakers. Swinja Newell's. You yeah. know, like, that's how they say it. And a lot, that's why, like, soccer, because they, they were athletic clubs formed by uh, basically British businessmen who were in these countries, you know, doing, you know, that they were sent there to basically extract resources, mm. right? Um, like, uh, a very famous team in, in Spain is called Athletic Club de Bilbao. The Athletic Club of Bilbao, right. which was, you know, basically uh, by, uh, British mining executives that had been sent over to mine the the minefields, uh, the minefields in in Bilbao in right. Spain in the Basque Country. Um, so they would be there. These families, they would just like send their entire families. They'd form these athletic clubs. Um, you mean the the executives, the high ups, or the people who worked for everything? Because they would send like everyone, you right. know, like. Um, and they basically become like na- they became like neighborhood sports clubs. Um, and and then and then that's how they evolved into the, the teams today. So what's the difference between a club and a team? Because we don't have clubs here, right? In the no, United I States. mean that's the thing. I mean we they're basically the same thing these days. But they're but many cl- many like the what we call teams like in, in Europe they're called clubs um, are proper like sports clubs. Like Barcelona has like a bunch of sports. Like they have like uh, uh, a hockey team and a basketball team and a you know. Uh, field hockey team okay. and they have so they they all under one club yeah got it yeah and in terms of though the difference between the team here and the clubs there i mean there is a, a real like political division yeah. in europe i mean I, I know about in spain a little bit more than other countries but i think it's kind of across the board yeah. um where there are certain teams that are more working class and more left-wing than there are certain teams that are more right-wing uh can you talk about that 
Yeah, I mean, because I, a lot of these clubs were very much identified with the neighborhoods that they that they were that they were in. You know, and often there were multiple teams in the same city or multiple clubs in the same city competing against each other, and they would sort of take adopt the identity of whatever the supporters of that club were. Um, so, for example, in in Italy, um, there's a very famous club in Rome called Lazio, and that club is sort of like very identified with like fascism. Mm. You know, like a lot of the you know one of their most famous players ever was this guy named Paolo Di Canio, and he would score goals and do the fascist salute. Really what would be player. really cool is if he did at the same time. But that requires a lot of right, core right, strength. Right. When was this? <laughs> this was in the '90s. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I heard a very funny parody on a pod, sorry, podcast of uh, Springtime for Hitler. And it was oh, Springtime yeah, yeah. for Decanio. Right. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I vaguely remember that. Wow. Yeah. And he doesn't get in trouble for that because free speech. He was. He did get in trouble, yeah. Oh, because like yeah. Nazism is kind of, yeah, fascism yeah. is illegal or yeah. symbols of but his, it. But his fans loved it. You know, like his support, the supporters loved him. You know, um, so that was like a very, so that, that happens a lot. Um, and was that, is that a working class fascist team or is it kind of a bougie fascist team well, because in Europe there is well yeah I mean I mean fascism yeah. we can go into like fascism yeah. in Italy is like a is a complex right uh, Mussolini started as a socialist yes by the way. he did named after you know he's named after Benito Mussolini is Benito named Juarez. after yeah, yeah, yeah. the Mexican uh, yeah and, and like his first major reform was like universal uh, suffrage and, and education but uh Mussolini's yeah, yeah, yeah. did not know that yeah um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, like in, in, in the very famous cases is in Madrid where Real Madrid, which is my team, coincidentally, because of my family. Right, we're going to talk about your yeah, Spanish right. uh, um, stock. It was very aligned with the fascist regime for many, for, for throughout the, the, especially in the second half of Franco's uh, dictatorship in Spain. Which was started, 39 to 75. Right. So starting around the 1950s, Franco sort of took a lot more interest in, in soccer and used it. Basically, as like you know, which is an off, a thing that dictators often use is to use sports like and to PR. flex their sports muscle oh, yeah. for PR right. purposes. Um, and he really supported Madrid and helped them become um, the powerhouse that they are today. So, okay, there fine. you go. So Real Madrid uh, is one yeah. team. Yeah, I mean one club. Yeah, well, and then there's another club called Atletico Madrid, which was like the more working class team. Uh, and then there's other teams in Madrid like uh, and they're social. Like are the working class team are they? Aligned with and associated with the. They're you know, more sort of frankly, you that, like, do that. Yes, right? although it's got, it's gotten a little bit muddled in in recent years. Uh, uh, sort of ultra because Gentrific- of gentrification or something. No, just because of like the nature of Spanish politics, but like the nature of sort of nationalism in Spain has really uh, the nationalist question in Spain has really sort of curbed the working class's left wing militancy because oh. of. Because if they can't, they 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 become very anti-Catalan. They become very pro-Spain. Right. right. Which, then turns them into sort of hmm, right. so like so a lot of the a lot of the radical ultras in the Atlético Madrid supporter sections are, are like pretty right wing. Interesting. Um, on, on on many issues or just on the, the well, autonomy I mean, it's issue. Like it's, it tends to that's the thing. Like it's like you know, for example, like if you become if you become like a right winger here because of abortion or something, right. because you you know you you're liable to then you know be, become like a hyper militarist or. Gateway. Yeah, it's a gateway issue. It's a gateway issue Uh, because of just the way partisan politics work. Um, And there are like fights on the streets, right? Like over this? Sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, do people, because they wear team, not among players, but among their fans? Yeah, and what they have is like, what they're called like, they usually call them ultra fans, which are these little clubs within the club. I mean, they're they're extra official. They're They're not part of the formal structure of the club, although they often collaborate. 
but that are that are quite valiant. Yeah, yeah, I mean the, the Madrid ones are very famous. They're called the Ultra Sur because they they sit they used to sit they're vivid band since uh, for a few years. But they used, I remember going to games and seeing them. They would sit in the southern end of the stadium, um, and they they barely watched the game. They would just like be there singing songs and like doing all kinds of like not neo-Nazi propaganda and stuff like that. And singing Carol Sol or anything? Yeah, That's not so much Carol Sol. It's, they're neo-Nazis. It's different. They're more, right, right, right. Yeah, That's old school. It's different than like the traditional... Right. Like fascism in Spain is very much traditional Catholic. Right, right. It's, right. And then know, part of the reason it's so hard to define fascism is because it's so anti-ideological and anti-intellectual. Way, yeah. So it doesn't have... There's no communist manifesto for no. fascism. It means... Fashi is like sticks. Yeah. Like that's the, the signal. That's yeah. the sign. Yeah. Right. Um, and then even like uh, so like the most famous team in Serbia, one of the most famous teams in, in, in Serbia is called Partisan Belgrade, um, which comes from um, the, the sort of partisan groups. You know, you know the partisan, Anti, the, the anti-fascist yeah. partisan. Yeah. Part of uncle, who was part of that. There in, you go. Uh, I don't know, Lithuania, and uh, he killed the Nazis who killed his parents. Oh, nice. And he was killed. Apparently, there's a monument to him. I gotta go there, but yeah. You should. Part of him, yeah. Yeah, so the the partisans, which you know, as you know, like were in Spain and right. in Italy and in Slovenia and in Yugoslavia, yeah. they were basically like these, and, and that's why this club is called Partisan oh, Belgrade. Wow. But was a people mixed the crashing fires of hell that sang this song and fought courageous till it fell. But was a people. So yeah, so they, these these clubs are formed in a sort of social context, and they they largely often maintain them, although not always. Where can you find the podcast? Well, you just search "We Came to Win" wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right. or. Uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of apps these days to listen to podcasts. So if you listen, if you search "We Came to Win," you'll find it. I think I, I think you guys will like it. Well, thanks so much, Nanda, for coming on. Thank you so much, Katie. And make sure you join our Patreon, where you can find an extended interview that I do with Nanda Villa. We talk about some really interesting things, including the Catalan independence movement and my dating a Spanish soccer player. Very exciting. Very exciting. I actually wound up dating a Spanish soccer player. Oh my goodness. Who kept it a secret. It was like kind of like coming to America. Like he didn't want me to know who he was because right, he wanted right, me to right. like fall in love with him for, for who, who he, was. he was. Except not fall in love, just go out yeah. on some dates. You can find The Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI, that's 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. You can find us on Twitter using the hashtag KTHelpShow. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. You can find me at KTHelps, letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. And you can find Gabe at Gabe underscore Pacheco.